We're going to turn to reading of Scripture now. We're going to be reading Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. This is the passage where Jesus confronts the Pharisees about taking their own traditions and commandments and putting them in the place of God's law. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban that is given to God, Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray as we prepare to hear from God. Lord, we've just sung about how great Jesus Christ is. Thank you for the blessing of Jesus Christ. He is everything that we need, and he gives us the life that nothing Nothing on earth can ever give us. He gives us eternal life in him. Lord, as we turn to your word to see Jesus Christ, we pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. We pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit to help us to understand and to help us to love and hold tightly to Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning our sermon comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. That's Colossians chapter 2, 
verses 20 to 23. If you remember what's happening here in the letter to the Colossians, Paul is dealing with some of the the false teaching that was happening in the church in Colossae. And all the way through this passage, really starting from verse 6 all the way down, Paul is showing that Jesus Christ is so much better than anything the false teachers can offer. Jesus Christ is so much better. With that in mind, let's begin reading in verse 20. Paul writes to the church, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It's safe to say that we do not like hypocrites. None of us do. None of us like hypocrites. Someone who says one thing and then does something completely different. One of the reasons we don't like is because we don't like that inconsistency Why can't they just do what they say? Have you ever had that thought? Why can't that person just do what they said they were going to do? But at at some level, each one of us here is a hypocrite. Each one of us has those problems because as Christians, we're constantly fighting a battle to live according to what we say we believe. That's one problem. In our passage today, Paul actually kind of looks even deeper. He says there's a bigger problem, a bigger inconsistency facing Christians. There's not just a gap between what we say and what we do. There's actually a gap between who we are in Christ and then who we think we are, right? In Christ, he'll say that we are saved. Paul says we are saved in Christ, but we keep wanting to be slaves in the world. Or as Paul puts it here in these verses, it's really a matter of death and life. You have died with Christ, and yet you're still trying to live in the world. At the root, this is a worship problem. It really is a worship problem. We are either worshiping Christ, or we are worshiping the world. And each one of us fights that same problem every day of our lives. This passage before us is immensely practical. It's immensely practical. We're going to see many applications as we go through this morning. Now, the main idea of this passage, as we look at what Christ has done, is that Christ frees us from empty human religion. Christ frees us from empty human religion. As we go, we'll see three points. We'll see the the situation in verse 20, we'll see the false solutions in verses 21 to 23. And then third and finally, we we'll come back to verse 20 to see the true solution of Jesus Christ. So let's look at the situation. What is facing the Colossians? Let's look at verse 20. Paul writes, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, 
as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Paul is saying, if this, if this one thing is true, why are you doing this other thing? It doesn't make sense. If you died with Christ, why are you then submitting to worldly regulations? Now, Paul's going to tell us more about those regulations, those rules in verse 21. But let's just look at the basic problem that's facing the Colossians. And this is the problem. The way that they are living their life is, this is what Paul says, as if you were still alive in this world. When Paul uses the term world here, he means everything that's opposed to God. That's every sinner. That's you and me outside of Christ. That's Satan. That's the fallen angels. Everyone who is opposed to God. But it's more than just individuals like you or me. It's actually the things that we make too. It's the systems we create, our culture, our philosophy, our values. Everything that sinners and Satan have made are fundamentally flawed because they are opposed to God. No one and nothing is neutral. Now Paul says that the Colossian Christians are living according to that sinful fallen world's rules. That's a a pretty stunning statement. I think the Colossians would have been surprised. Hasn't Paul told them about all the spiritual growth in their lives? Look at chapter 1. He's been telling them about what God has been doing. The Colossians may also have been surprised by Paul's criticism because those rules or regulations that they're following, those, those rules were offering them some kind of help, some kind of spiritual help. It wasn't like the Colossians were turning around and embracing some kind of worldly sexuality, for instance. It wasn't, it wasn't something so obviously wrong. No, they were following a spiritual program which seemed to produce results. And the Colossians probably thought that they were getting closer to God as a result of what they did, because that's what the false teachers told them was going to happen. But Paul says, no, there is no way that's going to work. There is is nothing further from the truth than that lie, because they already have all that they need. They have died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world. When Paul talks about dying with Christ, he's talking about salvation and its benefits. Dying with Christ is it's fundamental and it's an irreversible change. When you are saved, you don't go back. Just like when you've died, you don't just come back to life. You actually can't go back after being saved. You and I can't go back If you and I are in Christ, then we share in his death, his death to sin and his death to this fallen world. We do not go back. Now, Paul says specifically, as he's talking about dying with Christ, he focuses on dying with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world. Your your translation might say the elementary principles of the world, something like the basic principles of the world. People have come up with different ideas about what this phrase is might mean. Paul actually only uses it a few other times. He uses it earlier in Colossians 2, Colossians 2, 8. Then he uses it again when he's speaking to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 4. So people have come up with some various ideas. Here's what I think it means, okay? I'm going to say I think. But what Paul is doing here when he's using this phrase, the elementary principles of the world or the basic principles, 
He's, he's talking about the basic building blocks of the world, the way God made the world, right? God made the world to work in a certain way. I don't think we're going to argue with that. But now all those good things are corrupted by sin. And to make it worse, we then misuse the good things that God has given us, the way that God has made the world work. We misuse those things as well. And Paul actually says the problem is a worship problem. I said that in the beginning, but it's true here as well. Think about what Paul says in Romans 1. Fallen people apart from God are doing the exact same thing in every situation. We are worshiping the creature, what God has created, instead of the creator. And when I say creature, I don't just mean an animal or a person. I mean anything that God has created. Let me give you an example of our problem with the elementary principles of the world, the building blocks of the world. God made us to have relationships with one another, right? That's how he made us. That's a very basic part of the world. But sin corrupts us and it corrupts our relationships. Each one of us actually just needs to look at, you know, the relationships with one another in the family or the friends. Don't have to go too far to see that sin has messed things up. And one way that this kind of corruption shows up is that we begin to treat relationships like God. You know, when you start to find yourself thinking that you're actually finding your worth in what other people think about you, that's worshiping the relationship instead of the one who gave it to you. Or, this seems to be the Facebook problem, the more friends I have, the happier I feel. Or sometimes it can be in our relationships, real relationships. Here is the, the, the better relationship I have, the, the deeper or the, the closer friend I have, the happier I am. But living like that, where you're taking something that God has made, a relationship, when you're living like that, taking that and trying to put that in place of God, that's slavery, That is spiritual slavery, that you are binding yourself to creation, and that can never, ever satisfy you. And that's why Paul says we've died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world. In Christ, we aren't under that kind of spiritual slavery anymore. We can now use creation instead of serve creation. Let's go back to that example of relationships for a moment. We can have true, deep relationships with each other now as Christians. They can be intimate. They can be close. They can be sacrificial relationships. But the only reason that's true is because now we're in a right relationship with God, our Creator. So this really is the basic problem that's facing the Colossians. They have have died with Christ, the elemental spirits of the world, to those basic principles, but they aren't living like that. Instead, they're going back into spiritual slavery, following rules that people have made up. That really leads us to our second point, to see those false solutions, those rules, in verses 21 to 23. In these verses, Paul explains why these man-made rules are false solutions for a full spiritual life. First, Paul summarizes what these rules actually are. The Colossians were tempted to follow rules which said, listen to verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That's Paul's summary. 
sure if you asked the false teachers, they would have made those rules sound so much more impressive. Okay, they might have even had scripture verses behind them. But Paul is purposely getting to the heart of the rules. And at the very heart of these rules is avoid things. So he says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Avoid things. Some of these rules, for instance, were about avoiding certain food. Do not taste. Okay? But when they said that, that was not a helpful dieting tip, right? They were not saying avoid grains and sugar for the good of your health. No, 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 no. These rules are much more dangerous than that because the false teachers are promising a spiritual benefit from following them. We'll see that later in verse 23. So Paul says, these are the rules, but there are three, at least three, really big problems here. And that's what he looks at in verses 22 to 23. Three big problems about why these rules are false solutions for having a full spiritual life. And the first problem is that these rules have a wrong focus. This is in the first part of verse 22. He says that these rules are referring to things that all perish as they are used. Okay, we saw that one of those rules was about food, right? Okay, well, think about the problem of focusing on food for spiritual life. Food is meant to be eaten, right? When you, when you use food, you eat it, it's not there anymore, right? That's exactly how God made it. That's the plan. But these men were building some sort of practical theology about something like food, Maybe it was, you know, to eat it, or in this case, don't eat it. But when you do that like they did this, you're misusing a tool that God gave you. And you can make it sound so important. You can give this so much fake spiritual significance. But at the end of the day, it's just food. At the end of the day, it's just another thing that God has made. It's just another part of creation that God has given you to be used up. But Paul shows that there's even a deeper problem with these rules, and that's that these are man-made rules. So they have the wrong focus, but they also have the wrong source. Look at the end of verse 22. These regulations are according to human precepts and teachings. People are making up these rules. It's just people. Just people. Just fallen limited human beings instead of our wise God. It's sinful creatures rather than an all-powerful creator and savior. It is human precepts and teachings instead of God's perfect, holy, complete law. Beginning to see the problem? Yeah. Jesus confronts the Pharisees about this exact same sin. We just read about it in Mark 7. Right, the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders, they were the head of the church, and they were taking their own rules, the ones they made up, the ones that sounded nice, the ones that sounded spiritual. They took their rules and they took out God's rules. They replaced God's rules with their own. That was a real problem in the church of Jesus' day. And it happens in the church in our day. And it does not just happen to other people. Sadly, each one of us faces temptations like this all the time. We face the temptation to make our own rules instead of obeying God's rules. 
Or we face the temptation to follow other people's commands rather than God's commands. Sometimes we start to make our preferences um, more important. We try to make other people follow the things that we like, for example. Think about church life. Maybe it's a, before it was a preferred translation of the Bible and it slowly shifts into a required translation of the Bible. That's heading toward making your own rules. Or sometimes we find ourselves following tradition in the church instead of scripture. And that's even on good things. For instance, you know, we, we say we're, a, we're a, a church that has elders. Why do we have elders? For a lot of people, they say, well, because we always have. That's the church I grew up in. No, 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 no. We have elders because that's what God says in Scripture. We are not just following what someone is telling us. We need to be following Scripture. We as a church and we as individual Christians need to be radically, consistently biblical, constantly testing ourselves and what we hear from others against the clear teaching of Scripture. It's always going to be God's rules and God's way rather than man's rules and man's way. Now, Paul says the third problem with these man-made rules is that they have no power. No power. That's in verse 23. It says, these rules, they indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I find what Paul says in this verse very stunning because Paul knows that these rules look wise. He knows that they look powerful and we are fooling ourselves to pretend any other way. You know, you might not be tempted by what Paul says here, but I'm pretty sure that Satan can come up with something that would appeal to you perfectly. Okay? Do not be fooled because there is great power in these temptations. Now, now for the Colossians, the particular temptation was to follow what Paul says is self-made religion, asceticism, and severity to the body. It looks like the main focus here was on some sort of like controlling, controlling your body, right? Some sort of outward humility, some sort of keeping your body in check, uh, fasting, keeping a strict schedule, something like that. But Paul says it was all a waste, a complete waste. It was a waste because these rules are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No value. Not just some value, but a little misguided. No, no value. In fact, even worse than that, spiritually deadly. No man-made rules or human effort can ever stop sin. You think about the problem, right? Same in the, in, the, um, in the passage from Mark, that we are trying to use our own fallen means. We're trying to use all these things in the world to fix our own hearts. That's never going to work. We need the power of Jesus Christ to actually be at work in, in us. But time and time again, we do this. We find ourselves looking to a rule or looking to our own effort to fix our sin. Now, I thought about Martin Luther as I was thinking about this passage. He was a monk for many, many years, right? He was following the monastic rules very, very strictly. But what he found out was that all his fasting 
and confessing and trying to be good did not keep him from sinning. It did not give him the peace of mind that he needed. Martin Luther thought that that kind of monastic life was the spiritually wise life. But he found out the hard way that was not true. Thankfully, Martin Luther did discover the solution to his sin, right? It was Jesus Christ. That's what he realized as he was reading through Romans. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Jesus obeyed for us sinners through his whole life. He paid for our sins on the cross and he was raised to new life for us. He took our sins on himself. He gives us his righteousness. And now if we're in him, he is powerfully at work in our lives to change our hearts, to be dealing with our problems of sin. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is the good news. And that's actually where Paul is pointing us to as we look third and finally at the true solution for spiritual life, death with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20 again. I know we don't normally go back to the beginning of a passage in a sermon, but we need to do that here because this is really the heart of the passage. Verse 20, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. If that is true, Paul is saying, and it is true, this is not a doubt, this is true for you. Paul's emphasizing what is true for us in Christ. This is salvation. We are united to Christ by faith through the Holy Spirit. That means we have died with Christ. And dying with Christ to these basic <coughs> principles of the world means we're, we're free. We're free in Christ. There is a great freedom in Jesus Christ. We're still following Him. We're still following His rules. But He says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are free from the slavery of sin. And now we worship and serve the Creator, God, instead of the creature. That is true spiritual life. And true spiritual life is only available through death with Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Only through a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Only through His work on your behalf. But that life is available and it's free. It's free for every single person. It's that water. It's reminded of John 4. As Jesus talks to that woman at the well, He says, I will give you water. I will give you water that will spring up within you to eternal life. That is is life with Jesus Christ. There is a fullness that you cannot find anywhere else. We know that's true. We believe that's true. And yet, and yet we still have so many Christian alternatives to spiritual life. I'm not talking here about false teaching. I'm talking about tools, good tools that God has given us to help us to grow in our faith that instead we come to rely on, instead of relying on Christ. Let me give you some examples of of Christian tools. How about something like an accountability group? Accountability group. Maybe, Maybe for dealing with some kind of serious sin, sexual sin or otherwise. Those kinds of groups, very helpful. Hear me clearly. Very helpful. And I'd encourage you, if you are struggling with sin, seek out someone else. Seek out a group that will watch over you and help you. But at the end of the day, an accountability group, a friend, cannot fix your heart. Only 
Jesus can do that. How about something else? How about our our personal devotions or our family worship? Again, we ought to be reading the Word. We ought to be praying every day. Very, very important. But are we relying on what we read or on what we say to change us? Or are we actually seeking communion with the risen Christ? You can see how easy it is to take something that God has given us to make that will give us so much benefit, to take all those good things that God has given us and to so quickly, but you might not even notice it, shift it into something that's doing you no good. That, that list could go on, right? That list of things we do, that it could be, could be a Christian conference. It's great, but it can go wrong. It could be a, a great book. It could be a method for reading the Bible. You, you fill it in. We do this all the time. All of these things may be good things, and, and they are, but you will not be spiritually alive and growing if you are not dead with Christ. That's the basic fact. That's the basic fact. And if you have died with Christ, then his resurrection power is at work in you. And you have the Holy Spirit too. You have the Holy Spirit at work in you. Part of what the Holy Spirit does is he gives you understanding. He gives you spiritual eyes so that you can actually see those dangers. The dangers may be coming from false teaching or the dangers that you find in your own heart as you're taking good things and you're turning them into God. They are powerful and subtle temptations and we need the Holy Spirit to show us them. But the Holy Spirit also gives us strength to live as who we actually are in Jesus Christ. He gives us strength to resist those temptations of of empty alternatives, no matter how spiritually appealing they might seem, he gives us strength to rely on Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit gives us growth. He gives us more and more of Christ's life-giving power. And as he causes us to grow, we are bearing more and more fruit of that new life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. These are not small things. Do not fool yourself into realizing how much you need the Holy Spirit in this struggle. But the encouragement, the encouragement as we see these problems, as we face these temptations, as we can feel ourselves turning away from Christ, the encouragement is we are complete in Christ. And when I say that, I mean we have so much more actually than we can even imagine in Jesus Christ because He is so much greater than you or I even know. Pray. Pray faithfully that Christ would be at work in each one of us through the Holy Spirit to make us rely on His fullness instead of turning to the empty promises of spiritual life that are all around us. Again, those temptations are real. And we need Christ's power through His Holy Spirit. But also think about the people who have bought into these things, whether outside the church or inside. When you meet people who are following these kinds of empty promises, show them Jesus. There is nothing better that you can do for them. Show them Jesus. Show them Jesus in His fullness, in His completeness. And show them Jesus in His fullness for them. He is what you need. And he is what they need as well. So we look at this passage then. 
We have what we need in Jesus Christ. We have salvation. We have holiness. We have righteousness. We have eternal life. Because we are dead with Christ, we have everything that we need. So you go into this week, rely on Jesus Christ. Do not turn to anything else. Do not turn to anyone else, but keep Jesus Christ at the center of your life. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for what a great Savior we have. Lord, he is so much more than we often think he is. And Lord, even when we read the scriptures and we pray, and even at the, the, the highest moments of our spiritual life, Lord, we still don't know really what Jesus Christ has done for us and what he's doing for us right now. We don't understand that. Lord, we pray, though, that you would, uh, that you would be at work in us to make us know Jesus Christ and to be able to see all these other things in the world around us and even in our own hearts as just as fake, as dangerous. And Lord, bring us back day by day to Jesus Christ. We pray that we would grow in him as individuals, that we would grow in him as a church. And we pray this in Jesus' name alone. Amen.